Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Greetings. Our call to worship this morning is what we just sang. It's going to be the 103rd Psalm. So hear now the Word of God as He calls us as His people to get our hearts and our minds ready to have our affections set on things above. Of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Amen? Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you that we are indeed blessed by being your children. You have called us out of the world. We are your called out ones. But you have not just called us out, Father. You have invited us in, into this place of meeting, into your house of worship, into the body of Christ as living stones in this building that you are building, as members of parts of a body, the body of Christ. He is the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. And so we thank you, Father, that we can come today even aware, aware of our sin, aware of our frailties, aware of how we have fallen short again and again this week, but knowing that we are your children, and if you have adopted us, there is nothing that can change us. There is no one and nothing that can snatch us out of your hand. So we come with grateful hearts. We come with joy in our hearts, knowing that we are your people. And so we pray that you would now prepare us and help us to worship you as you deserve to be worshipped, as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the sovereign over all that is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing while I read um, a short section from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we can have confidence in our salvation because it is not dependent on us. All atonement has been completed. Christ died once for our sins and there is nothing else to be added to it. Lord, bring reformation to our hearts and let us labor to share the beautiful news and defend it as our forefathers did. May your word be in us and flowing out of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I thought it was kind of fitting, um, and for those of you who are here last week, um, one of the Old Testament, the Old Testament reading was the previous chapter where Josiah... Uh, is told that they had found the book of the law. And Pastor Mark also preached on uh, a little bit about Martin Luther. Uh, but reading the ref reforms that Josiah made in his time, uh, I thought was just very fitting. Is there anyone here who, who is thankful today for the Reformation? I, I ho certainly hope so. 
men, of, men and women of God standing for the truth of the gospel, staring death in the face and refusing to compromise for the sake of anything in this life. What an amazing and inspiring heritage that we have received from them, those who stood against the tyranny of that time. Uh, as we know, one act stands out as the spark that started the Reformation. Martin Luther nailing his 95 Theses to the church doors at Wittenberg. And because it is such a defining moment of history, and especially our history, maybe we're a little bit inclined to describe what happened more like this. Martin Luther boldly drove the nail through his 95 Theses, defying the Pope and declaring war on the Catholic Church's gospel of lies. That sounds better, right? Uh, it certainly has a certain poetic imagery hearkening back to uh, Jesus upon the cross, the nails being driven into the wood and leaving himself vulnerable and open to attack, laying his life down. And that sounds a lot more like the plot of a movie or the start of a hero's tale. But that's not really how it happened. Any peasant standing around wouldn't have covered their mouths with their hands at seeing this happen. For one, they couldn't read it since it was in Latin. The language of scholars and the learned. And second, this was far from an unusual event. This was simply Luther inviting people to a scholarly debate. And it wasn't even his first time doing this. Some say that Luther's 97 Theses contained some very controversial items. And no, I didn't misspeak or say the wrong number. 97 Theses. Luther had set up and participated in a debate on September 4th, 1517, in that same city of Wittenberg, about a list of 97 theses that he had written and had presumably left on the same doors of the church. Now, we don't know for certain that these 97 theses were posted there, but it's uh, probably a pretty safe bet. That's how you would get the attention of your colleagues and the other clergy at the time. Post it where everybody would be sure to see it. That debate, which was later named the Disputation Against Scholastic Theology, focused on what the basis of scholarship should be when it comes to the Bible. Specifically, he rejected the ethics of Aristotle and other thinkers, such as Occam, and refuted the Pelagian and semi-Pelagian ideas that throughout the history of the church have come up again and again. Now I know what most of you are thinking. Here, go, here he goes with the big theological words like Pelagianism and semi-Pelagian, and referencing philosophers who were long dead in the time of Luther. But don't worry. Sorry, I lost my spot here. But don't worry, that this is an easy one to understand. Um, Luther was simply rejecting everything that was even close to the idea 
that you can seek God or want to serve Him on your own. That's what this earlier debate was about. According to Luther, man is totally corrupted. Sorry. Uh, Man is totally corrupted and can't will himself to do what is right. Sounds familiar, right? Your desire and the faith you have all have to come from God. Um, But why is this specifically worth mentioning? Because that's who Luther was. These were his personal struggles. These are the things that he had to deal with. He was just a troubled Augustinian monk who wrestled for so long and so hard about his own sinfulness and how all his prayers and his good works didn't lead to an, an internal peace with God that when his mentor, Johann von Staupitz, encouraged him to look to the finished work of Christ and not at his own works, he began to be set free. The debate, this debate, and the later 95 theses that were to cause such a disturbance were born out of his own struggles with his sin nature and his separation from God. And so, Luther debated with those who came on that September day. But there was no scandal. Nobody really noticed. Nobody cared. Because this is what scholars did. They tested out ideas against each other. But in seeking to do the same thing less than two months later, he unwittingly ignited a firestorm. Luther was not seeking to split from the Catholic Church. And any idea that would have been, and any idea of doing such would have been completely unthinkable to him. Surely the leaders of the church would appreciate the work that he was doing, and they wouldn't side with Johann Tetzel, who taught about and sold indulgences to the poor and ignorant masses. Indulgences were said to forgive uh, temporal punishments. That is to say, Christ has died for your sins, but you may still have, according to Catholic doctrine, uh, you may still have to suffer temporarily in this life or in purgatory uh, before being made perfect. But the buying of these indulgences could bypass this extra punishment. Now, I want to make something clear here. Uh, The doctrine of temporal punishments um, was not exactly a new one. It had been a part of the church from early on. Um, Thought about a different way. You know, we might call it the reaping what you've sown, right? But in the early church, uh, when a baptized believer committed a grave sin like adultery or murder or something, if the sinner wished to be reconciled to the church, uh, following a public confession, the bishop would declare their sins forgiven if there was repentance evidenced by the performance of some penance. Uh, Now, in my opinion, the word penance is kind of where things all started to go astray. 
In the beginning, the performance of some penance, as it said, likely meant, does this, per does this person seem to be walking in the Holy Spirit? And if that was all that it meant, then I think everyone here, most, one, most here, could get on board with that. But spoiler alert, that didn't happen. That's, that's not how it went. Uh, legalistic men do what legalistic men always do. If someone said that Christians should pray, well, then they'd ask, well, what, they sh what should they pray about? Uh, is one prayer as good as another prayer? Maybe the Lord's Prayer is the best prayer of all, and so we should say that one. Uh, how about how many times do you have to pray? You know, maybe if you prayed 12 times, that would be, that'd be good enough. Or if they were told that Christians should help the poor, they would ask if giving somebody white bread was just as good as giving them wheat bread, you know? Uh, this all is nothing more than tying apples on yourself and pretending like you were planted by Johnny Appleseed, right? Walking in the Spirit is not done by formula. Following a prescription for forgiveness is nothing but the works of flesh. And make no mistake, acts of penance are still part of the Roman Catholic doctrine and are prescribed um, as prayers or fastings or other good works uh, which are assigned by the priest for there to be atonement with God. <clears throat> We cannot make peace with God, folks. Jesus Christ alone can do that and has done that on our behalf. He is our one mediator. Salvation and right relationship with God has been secured for us and gifted to us by that one true atonement. Amen? However, what was being preached in Germany and elsewhere in the Roman Catholic Kingdom by, man like, by men like Johann Tetzel was that an indulgence, which is like a, a stand-in for those acts of penance, could be gained by donating to the church. How convenient for the church, right? Better yet, they could also reduce the number of years that a dead loved one would need to suffer in purgatory before they were made perfect. What dutiful son or daughter wouldn't go without a few meals to ensure that their dead parents could be at peace in the afterlife? What about someone righteous, someone like righteous Job who often made sacrifices for his children in case, just in case, they had done something to offend God. This had become a huge moneymaker for the church. In these 95 theses put on the church door, Luther raises issues regarding the forgiveness of sins, the greed and avarice of the church, and takes issue with the treasury of merit, which is another unbiblical fabrication of the Roman Catholic Church that I don't have time to get into right now. Uh, 
Um, this posting might never have changed anything if it weren't for a few of Luther's university students. They took these 95 Latin discussion points and translated them into German, which still wouldn't have been too bad. But thanks to the printing press, they could mass produce them. Just how effective was this first viral social media post? Uh, according to Friedrich Myconius, one of Luther's friends, hardly 14 days had passed when the propositions were known throughout Germany. And within four weeks, almost all of Christendom was familiar with them. To me, that is absolutely mind-blowing. Four weeks to cover all of Europe in a time of horse and carriage travel. Now, in case, like me, you couldn't remember the timeline of Luther's life, from the time that he posted the 95 Theses until the time of his trial was like four years. Four years to rethink, to refine, to doubt, and to overcome <coughs> to be reviled and to be celebrated, to wait in anticipation of your vindication or your condemnation. Though there is nothing to indicate that the debate over these 95 theses ever occurred, Luther was part of another debate which had a direct effect on his future trial and his place within the Catholic Church. The Leipzig debate, as it is called. And in this debate, one of the points that came up centered around the burning of heretics. Specifically, Jan Hus. You guys see where this might be going? According to the church, Luther was teaching heresy. What is more... In that same debate, Luther pretty much had to admit to being a heretic by proclaiming that Scripture alone was authoritative and that Christ alone was the head of his church, both of which were contrary to Catholic doctrines concerning the Pope. His name could easily be the next one on that list of martyrs. Perhaps this was a subtle reminder of what fate might await him if he didn't fall into line. But Luther was undeterred. Luther had been growing bolder and more defiant of the Pope and the church authorities. Following the Leipzig debate, when the Pope threatened to excommunicate him or officially declare him to be outside of salvation in the church, Luther publicly burned the letter. And when the time for his trial came, he stood firm. At his trial, he said, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scripture, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted 
and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. And so following the diet of worms, he was excommunicated. I got a little boy's attention right now. What did Mr. Brownfield say? He said he was eating worms? Diet here just means an official assembly. And worms is just the city in Germany where it was held. Diet of worms, assembly of worms. Either way, it sounds funny. Uh, although he was excommunicated and declared an outlaw, his work was not yet finished. Luther had been promised safe passage to and from the city of Worms for this trial. But when would that stop the enemies of the true church from carrying out the work of their father, the devil? And so Luther was kidnapped by masked bandits on the road back to Wittenberg. But, and this is my favorite part, I think, instead... His kidnappers were not sent to kill him or imprison him to prevent his work. Instead, they were secretly to whisk him away to safety in a castle in another part of Germany. Come on, that's, that's straight out of a movie. In fact, the first time I saw the Luther movie uh, featuring Ralph Fiennes, which some of you were there, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know they were going to save him. And it blew me away. I remember a bunch of us from church were there and I think we had a very emotional prayer meeting right there in the theater after the movie. So with Luther safely stashed away in the castle and supplied with everything he would need for his studies, he continued his writings and worked on translation of the Bible into German. Though he eventually left the safety of the castle, Throughout the rest of his life, he continued the reformation of the church, seeking to keep Christ as the center of all life and doctrine, though he was not without his faults. One such major issue uh, was his hatred of the Jews, whom he considered idolaters and murderers of Christ. And he openly called for burning their synagogues and destroying their homes, seizing their property and for ridding Germany of them, whether by driving them out or killing them. These absolutely terrible views, which he wrote a great deal about, were embraced by many, embraced many years later by the Nazis as justification for the Holocaust of the Jews. Could you imagine if that was part of your legacy? We need to beware of our own blind spots. Just because you're a Christian and you're against abortion doesn't mean that your eyes see clearly on all matters. Prejudices are extremely hard to recognize in yourself unless you're challenged on them. I hope that like I did in preparing this, you have gained a new understanding uh, of the Reformation, the events surrounding it, and how it got started. In my mind... It didn't really start with the 95 Theses. 
It started when Luther's heart was changed by the gospel of peace. Do you want to see reformation happen in our country? Then let it begin with us. Let it begin with you and with me. So what can we learn from Martin Luther's life? What made him such a formative influence during the Reformation? And how can we prepare our hearts for a Reformation? First, he was fixated on the Scriptures. He searched them diligently, seeking to understand sin and forgiveness. And that's, that's the key to changing hearts, right? Understanding that we can't please God. And that it's all done for us. We heard last week from Pastor Robinette how Luther loved the Psalms. He worked to translate it into the regional language of the people so that they could sing them. We should be experts on the Bible, for therein are the works, words of life. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. It's from Jeremiah 15, 16. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's Joshua 1, 8. Now, I'm not here to blast anyone. For the first person that I preach against is me. But does anybody else think that maybe the studying and memorizing the Scriptures doesn't get the attention in your life that it deserves? Every week I sit in front of the Cusels and I hear them right behind me saying the memory verse and I think, way to go, guys. You know? I know that I haven't done what I should be doing, but it, at least they are doing it. Don't stop, because you give me hope that I can be reformed. And when that, Luke, when I heard that your car, or there, there he is, when I heard that when you get in your car, it starts playing the Bible immediately, without you doing anything, it makes sense, because when I talk to Luke, the scriptures are what come out of his mouth. And I want that for myself and for my family. Like Luther, Calvin, or any other reformer, I want to be focused on the scriptures too. Second Luther worked to make sure the gospel was accessible to everyone. And here I see a couple things that we ought to make sure that we're doing. First, we should be examining ourselves to make sure we aren't those who need opposed. How do we seek to bind others' consciences? How are we guilty of honoring tradition above the Word of God? Are we being careful with our words when we're sharing the gospel? Maybe your temptation might be to make salvation more difficult than it really is. You have to be like me to be saved, or 
you can't do that and be a Christian where the issue is really one of personal conviction. Or maybe we're more inclined to be too casual or too timid with this precious treasure we've been given. Are you preaching about the God of personal peace and happiness? I certainly hope not. Are you withholding salvation from someone because you're too wrapped up in propriety or social norms or your own self-comfort? Preaching another gospel and preaching no gospel are both errors we could find ourselves in. So we need to examine ourselves. Second, we need to oppose those who are doing these things with love and compassion for those being led astray. We should defend the truth of the gospel. I'm not talking about homeschooling, definitions of modesty, or your daughter's liturgical dancing. Those, uh, those may be very important topics for people to consider, but they are not salvation issues. Remember how Paul confronted Peter in Galatians 2. It says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We should not stand by while someone that claims to speak for Christ or claims to preach the gospel instead leads others away from it. <clears throat> Lastly, Luther laid down his life, everything he had, in refusing to recant what he had written. The time may come when we stand, when standing for the truth of the gospel may cost us our very lives. But at present, we are mostly in danger of gratifying our flesh. Now is always the time to decide what we will do. Every now is another chance to give up what's safe and comfortable in exchange for stepping out of the boat and walking on the water. I may not be there yet, but I'm praying for reformation. Let us pray. Lord, may we rejoice to eat at the bountiful feast of your grace and goodness and glory that has been revealed to us in your word. What a precious gift we have been given to share in the worship and service of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that we have been given the great privilege of seeing firsthand 
a people receive the Bible in their own language. You have let us help to bring these things to pass. These are hero tales, but we are no heroes. This is your doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. Give us the strength and courage to walk faithfully in these little things and grant us reformation in our hearts to seek after you and to love your people as Martin Luther did. May our lives be laid down so that others may live forever. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.